This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers. Today, we are talking about the much-anticipated sequel by Brad Bird, Incredibles 2. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now. Here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Boom, here we are once again. Welcome back, movie lovers. We are here on the Popcorn Talk Network doing Anatomy of a Movie. We're covering Disney's, Pixar's newest, latest film, Incredibles 2. Incredible. Incredibles 2, we're here once again. I'm your host, Marissa Serafini. Joining me, I have... Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. Hello, Marissa. Hello, Dimitri. We've been looking forward to talking about this movie for a little while. We have. No Phil today, but don't worry. We'll have a great discussion. He's off somewhere else trying to be incredible. He's off saving the world. (laughs) Yes. He's probably with Violet's invisibility (laughs) ability going out and just doing great things. All right. So, Incredibles 2. Real quick thoughts of yeah. your movie, uh, of, of this movie. Well, look, Incredibles 2 just zips into theaters with all the core values that the original had, all core values intact, which is something that I was really, that I really had hoped that, that they were going to do. And they succeeded. Uh, I think that the movie is fun and it's exciting. Um, I really had a great time being back in this Incredibles world. I love the world that Brad Bird uh, created it, it's a pastiche of 60s like tech uh and 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 modern day world form and i really like that a lot um it's powered by some uh, fantastic score by michael giacchino uh again we are very character and family driven mm-hmm. which was such an important part of the first movie and that's in this movie as well we get some new things. We get some great uh, Elastigirl scenes. We get some really great, cool animated action. I, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, it, it was very comfortable to sit down and watch another tale of the Incredibles with all the characters intact. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, I agree. And I remember when the first one came out, I was much younger, such as like everybody else. When the first movie came out in, originally in 2004. Yeah, four, we're like 14 years ago. It's 14 years yeah. in real time. I was in high school when the first one came out. I was an actual teenager. And I just remember watching that one. It was so well done. I mean, and this was before the Marvel TV hype, hype, hype uh-huh. that we have yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, And only like a handful of Marvel movies were out by them, but they weren't nearly as good as the caliber of superhero movies that we have today. And so when this movie, the first one came out, I was like, this is an awesome superhero movie. It's Disney and, and it's about family and like the characters and the individual powers were fun to watch. And then we didn't get a sequel for a long time. I was like, why not? And then when finally they announced that this one came out, I was so excited and, and, but also admittedly I was worried because now we're at the, what people call the hero 
superhero fatigue and agreed but watching this i was like no it's still fun you know this movie overcame i think so much uh when you think about it there aren't that many movie franchises or movies period that you can wait 14 years to come up with a sequel it usually just doesn't work i mean unless you're something as big as star wars right Mm -hmm. but other movies that have tried to come back after 14 years, a lot of people, lack of better words, have maybe forgotten about it. The interest has gone way down low. For whatever reasons, Incredibles, and I think due to a lot of fantastic marketing, it it just got everybody to come back in droves for an incredible box office, which we'll talk about later. And what it took to get to the screen, I found to be fan- a fantastic story. And I'm glad that Brad Bird never let it go. Right. I'm glad that he wanted to come back and that he was always thinking of stories. And he had multiple stories. And how to bring this this team, this family back together again. And I believe that he really succeeded in doing so. I, I mean, I agree. And I'm glad it came back with still... <clears throat> modern and like more relevant universal themes mm-hmm. for for the storyline and that can if we watch this movie 14 years from now it will still be relevant yeah and you know what's fantastic about that too is when he was thinking about he was thinking about a sequel brad bird that is pretty much after he finished the incredibles right so we're talking about 14 years ago yes and he was had these thoughts in his head So that was 14 years ago. He's almost like a soothsayer because these things have become so important in our core values of today that he wasn't thinking this movie was going to be released so far in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's as relevant as he was thinking about it going, yeah, let's have the mom be the character. Let's focus on the teenage girl. Let's focus on the family intrinsic core. These themes are classic and that's why this movie to me didn't seem dated at all even though it picks up right exactly where the incredibles left off 14 years ago i love that me too we didn't miss a beat it's it's literally within the same day and i love that because it also adds to this is how great animation can be valuable that they didn't have to age the characters whatsoever. No. And that's the beauty of just voice acting because it doesn't matter how old the actual actor or actress aged in real life, their characters that they play on screen are still the same. Still the same. And, you know, that's with movie magic. Yeah. And, and you have to enjoy that. And the writer, Brad Bird, and, you know, director as well, no stranger to Disney, as we know. He's worked on Fox and Hound and Black Cauldron and Batteries Not Included. So, it's like, he he's no stranger to to Disney. He's no stranger to and Disney, he, no stranger to animation, no. you know, with the Iron Giant as well. Right. But again, I just go back to the relevancy of his themes. And they they will remain to your point if they're if you watch Incredibles 2 14 years, 15 years, 20 years away from today, I believe it'll still be as relevant and timeless because they pick a time and their production design really sets up a timeless tone. And right. that and is important. It's also just the because even the first movie back in two thousand four, the theme of the movie and story time kind of takes place in the fifties, sixties. Mm-hmm. So even in that aspect, with you know upgraded technology, it, it fuses old time behaviors of like family and just that society of sure. what the environment and how people thought back yeah. in fifties and sixties. 
But still relevant themes of yeah. today. And I think this is something that they probably did learn from the success or the quote-unquote failures of the Disney, well, not Disney, like of just comic book movies that the, there was a story plot in this. It's just, there was so much distraction. Mm-hmm. Yes, you saved people, but you caused a lot of destruction and right. damage to the city. And that's something that we've pulled from the, the DC Superman sure. um, and Batman versus Superman. They had this whole lingering story. It's like you killed so many people and you destroyed so many buildings. Right. And I liked how they kind of turned that and made that if a woman was in charge, would there have been more as much destruction? Mm-hmm. I was like, that's actually a good question. Yeah, yeah. And I think as, as a whole, Pixar, and I think this is what makes all the Pixar movies uh, very relatable and, for the most part, classic, with the exception of maybe like a Cars 2, right, um, is thematically you can watch them at almost any age, right, and they are timeless from a thematic standpoint. When you look at something like a Ratatouille, when you look at Up, a Finding Nemo, or Dory, mm-hmm. Toy Story, uh, you can watch those forever, and they're still going to be relevant in one way, shape, or form. Whether you're a child and then it is an adult, you grow up with these pictures. Like you just said, you were in high school. I was in high school right? when the first this. one came out. But watching Incredibles 2, it's relevant today. And he was thinking of this story literally 14, shortly after he finished the first Incredibles movie. Mm-hmm. That's one of Pixar's core strengths. We talked at great length with Coco as well. That movie too will 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 forever be like its heart, its story is will always be relevant to people. I think it's the diamond dynamics of the family, yep, and the message of what they're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. in the world is what makes it relevant. And no matter what time period, it will still translate today. Right. So, getting you know into some of the story plot lines. And be becoming more of a progressive storyline, especially with the whole Me Too movement that's <laughs> happening in Hollywood. Right. Women are be, and we've seen it in the past five years that we've covered anatomy. Absolutely, just about, uh, we've seen this progression of women having stronger, better, well written roles for sure. them. And I liked how they brought Elastigirl more to the forefront yeah. because she was always a great character in the first one, and she was. The only person who could really put Bob in his place when absolutely necessary. Absolutely. And now she's still being, now she's the one who's actually getting the spotlight and getting, and people are putting her into the position in a public forum. Sure. Even though we know it's illegal with the superheroes can't be out there, but she's actually given the opportunity to shine and give a better perception, perception yep. of what's they actually mean uh, of the entire superhero community. Yeah, it's all about perception. Yes. And it's I funny. I love that, though. Yeah, me too. And and again, Elastigirl, uh, in my opinion, she had the greatest line from The Incredibles, uh, where the family had just reunited and they're they're prepping to, 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 to face off against the big bad. And the mom, Elastigirl, tells her kids... Um, kids, this is not your fault. Don't for a minute think that this is because of you. And to me, at that time, too, I felt that that was such a, a, a great message within that movie that the movie carried on. And, it, and, and that togetherness carries on here. 
And Brad Bird, um, while he'd been thinking about Incredibles 2 for, for a good 14 years, you know, he had this, he had always had, two, he had the core idea of doing the role reversal, so the Mr. Mom kind of thing, right? Yes. And Also another great film. Another great film. And he had the unexploded bomb of Jack-Jack. 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 Jack-Jack's great. Stole so, every but, moment. Oh, he was fantastic. So fun to watch, right? But, you know, his hardest part, though... And I get it, because his hardest part in this was coming up with a villain, coming up with with a superhero villainy plot. And when you think about it, we've talked about the villains in movies before, right? right? And how your hero has to be as strong as the villain. And if you or have a weak smarter. villain, or smart, yeah, and they don't necessarily they don't necessarily have to be smarter, but you you need a decent villain for your heroes. To to um to surpass to, to stand yeah, to, up to. to overcome and have a more satisfactory and if, ending. And how many times have we watched movies with the villains, and then the movie becomes very mediocre? And yeah, he went through so many ideas to pitch, uh, to get it right. And he felt he finally had it, and he pitched the idea. They loved it. They were going to go into production, and then. Disney said, nah, that idea doesn't work. And it was an AI thing. And he goes, now I'm screwed. Because <laughs> I got a release date, everybody working. And, you know, I feel like, okay, I'll be right back. I'm going <laughs> to go back to the drawing board. Let's change this. But the cool thing that I think is cool is he didn't scrap his original idea. So maybe it comes back and, you know, Just hopefully a third. Tweaks to it. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, and well, for, of course, we are very spoiler filled here at sure. Anatomy. But uh, if so, when let's getting into the villainess, mm-hmm. that's also a, a more modern day twist, but making her a woman. Yeah. Did you expect this in Incredibles too? You know, here's here's where I, what I, another aspect I liked. So we're introduced to these new characters: Winston Deaver and um, his sister. Uh, what, what, what what's his sister's name? Uh, is it Carol? Um, help me out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was Captain Keener who played Evelyn, right? The, well, the voice of Evelyn. Evelyn Deaver. Okay, so you have a brother sister team, and you need the voice more than yeah. And and what character. I found, I was like, my first thing was, okay, this guy is way too enthusiastic, and he's probably going to be the villain. In one way, shape, or form. Like, he's just way too, like, come on, I gotta get everybody back together. So they did this little switcheroo, which I didn't really see coming. And when it came, I was like, okay, fine, good villain. You, you still had a good villain going on. And you're right, the Screen Slaver. Screen great, Slaver. Great, great name. And again, who thinks of this stuff so many years ago? But it's so relevant right. today. See, it wasn't so much a surprise for me, not that I didn't mind it, the villain being a woman. I actually rather enjoyed it. But the first time we actually see Evelyn Deaver walk through, like on camera, quote unquote, <laughs> for in, into the movie, she her hands are like full of all these items and stuff, and she, she's already in a bad mood. But when she starts talking, you clearly understand she's the intelligent 
intelligent one. Yes. She has the brains more than her brother, who is just all talk and no brains. He's not... She's, yeah. she's the one who's actually doing... She's the tech. Yeah, yeah, she's the tech person, but she's the one who actually knows how to make everything happen. I was yeah. like, she's the only one smart <clears throat> enough to make all the technology work yeah. and to track everybody. I was like, she has to be the villain. Yeah, and, and, and her brother is, let's face it, he's the... Salesperson. He's the face. He's the face. But and she's he's the one who does face. all the work. I mean, yeah. like, much into today's society, women do the work. Yeah, and Bob Odenkirk, who does Winston Lever, did a fantastic job. And he approached it from this, and this is what I like, he's this multi-billionaire, right? And he has this geek-ish thing about superheroes and how much he loved them and he wants to bring them back and it's really passioned and that's what i really liked about it as did a you think it was genuine i did well, that that was my thing i was like he's sort of kind of so over the top he's probably going to be the villain so okay. they threw me off but then as everything's falling into place i'm like he loves these guys he really wants to put he wants supers or soups supers to be back and be relevant in the world today. Mm-hmm. And there was one piece of dialogue in the movie where he's explaining his family history and why superheroes are so important to him. And everybody has a tale. Everybody who reads comic books or see these, sees these movies has a tale. And his is about the Incredibles and his dad and this. And the sister, something happens, a tragedy happens in the family where supers couldn't save mom and dad. Because they were illegal. They were now made illegal. Had they weren't illegal, his parents would have been safe. And the sister, like, it's their fault. Like, she snaps. And it was right there that I was, like, thinking, oh, she's really not on. She might not be fully on board with this, bringing the supers back. And that was the switch. Anger motivation. Because he was still proud of superheroes. Um and I like the way Bob Odenkirk voiced him and Catherine Keener. I like the way yeah. she voiced too. She's also good at being a villain as well. She is. Because if you followed our Get Out anatomy, oh. she was an amazing villain uh-huh. in that. And that was actual pure acting. Mm-hmm. This is just the voice. So, And and I think it was also just the, the brilliant development and the character concept design of Evelyn Deaver. She yep. seems like just a... A genuine kind of natural looking woman who also an air of mysteriousness to her character. When you look at her, she has like darker hair. It's spiky. Um, Just the facial features that they put in the character. uh, Just there there were a lot of like physical kind of tics that would be like she's mysterious to watch. Yeah. And they made her you, you, you could believe that she was into the tech. Because of, in a sense, her fashion. And she had fashion. Um, They drew her with a sense of fashion, which doesn't often happen in animated movies when you think about it, right? But this is a character that had a particular fashion. So when she's talking about computers and tech, you got it. And they didn't make her goth, right? But they Mm -hmm. just made her the spiky hair, the certain kind of... (laughs) It's funny to call clothes, but the, the like whatever her costumes were. So yeah, they she was she was greatly drawn and fully realized as a character, as an animated character. Right, liked it a lot. And if you guys may not know, also we have our rundowns full of our notes that we follow along in our anatomies. And one fun thing about the cat, uh, the, the character of Evelyn, I've actually been mispronouncing it. It's 
pronounced evil endeavor. <laughs> so evil there's a foreshadowing of her character. So if you actually phonetically pronounce it out loud properly, it's right. evil endeavor. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Which is so smart now if you think about it. You're like, oh shoot, of course she's a character. Of course she's like Darth a- Vader. Right. Darth Vader, like I am your father. Um so I think just the 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 gender switch of now we have a female superhero and now we also simultaneously have a female villain right which made the the fight between these two actually really fun to watch i thought so i thought the action scenes were extremely fun to watch they were really good set pieces and i want to go back to because screen slaver again the way brad bird ended up envisioning this wasn't just to tie it down to we're slaves to our iPhones or iPads. Look, I'm a slave to this because this is where my notes are right now. <laughs> so so you'll see me constantly looking at it. But as he goes on to say, growing up as a kid, right, it was you're watching too much TV. You know, you're watching that the there's you're spending too much time staring into that TV. And so the, it's it's a multi-meaning kind of like whatever your gender whatever your age not gender but whatever your age where you grow up people are have have been for a long time accusing younger people oh you're just wasting your life staring into that screen didn't matter now it doesn't matter whether the television screen or your iphone or your smartphone or dumb phone screen whatever it is that you have Right, so. and uh, I think Jack Jack was actually watching the most television out of everybody. God bless him. God bless Jack Jack. <laughs> so let's actually get into Black yeah, Jack Jack. Into Black into Jack? Jack? Into 21. Jack Jack. Um, we saw a bit of his of Jack Jack in the first one, but he wasn't as big of a character, and his his powers weren't you know really fully developed. We, we found at the end of the first one that he he can. Light up in a ball of flames, and he's a devil kind of demon every once in a while. But they they kind of really developed him more in this episode. He still can't talk, but we find out he's honestly the most powerful out of all the the part yes. family. Yes, and I, th- I believe at one point when Edna Moon, well, we can get into her later, but <laughs> when Edna mentioned that he has seventeen powers, yeah, and we probably only saw about. 10 of them so what are the other seven you know i don't know and, it, and it's interesting because the way brad bird approached it too is yes he has all these powers he's a baby though and as a baby you're able to uh accumulate like knowledge like that's what they say about learning language and you can bring all this stuff in well, we have more neurons and, as babies or so we can learn more so yeah and and he applied that theory into jack jack meaning he has all these powers now, but as he grows, which ones are going to be... It's going to be interesting to see which ones may develop to be the stronger power. So some may get weakened, but right now he's just a baby and he's like all off the charts, which made the character fun. Much like a baby. <laughs> Much like a baby. Because babies go through the whole gamut of emotions. Yeah. From angry to happy to laughing and, and all that. And I loved how there were scenes of Jack-Jack... And just being a fun baby to and entertaining to watch, and you never know what powers he's actually going to display because no. he's—they're completely out of control. And neither did the parents. And neither did Bob. <laughs> Bob. And I love the the actual 
positive, I guess you could say positive reinforcement whenever right. Jack-Jack had disappeared into the fourth dimension. It's like, here's a cookie, come back. Here's a cookie, cookie. Right. And I was like, Jack-Jack's going to be a pretty big baby if he keeps eating cookies. I always found that. I found that part to be very, and I don't necessarily know if it was done on purpose, but it was very poltergeisty, which... Um, mm. which, so? well, a couple of things. We've got Craig T. Nelson, who's in Poltergeist. Love Carol Ann gets sucked into the netherworld, into the house. They can hear her, and they're trying to get her to come out. Cookie, come on, Carol Ann, Carol Ann. And so here Jack-Jack is in another dimension, <laughs> and they're trying to lure, lure him back into today's time and world and they're going cookie cookie do you think that was just an ode to poltergeist i have no idea because i've never actually seen poltergeist so i think for people who have such as you and people that might just be an odd to that movie i i don't know or it it was just i just found it to be very i found it to be humorous and and to get a chocolate chip cookie to get the kid to come back, Shoot. but but you're right. They they were never the, the positive reinforcement on with Jack Jack, albeit tiring. You saw the toll that it was taking on a, an Bob incredible superhero. <laughs> um, it, it again, it just goes. I think to the to the talent of the voice cast. Mm-hmm. I think Craig T. Nelson was fantastic as Bob, and you knew that he wanted to help his kids. And 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 he never gave up. New math. What was wrong with the old math? <laughs> like that stuff was funny too. Math is math. math. It's true. Math is math. Math is math. Um, I did love that. My dad's actually a math teacher, so <laughs> I new <get> that. math. <laughs> yeah, um, but I did love that. Even Bob had a more humanistic element because we saw so much of his his superhero side in the first one. That they kind of reels him back to just being like a plain human dealing with right. human situations, yep. and it made him more relatable too for for just the the men or just people in the world to watch this. It's like, oh yeah, his biggest struggle right now is not a villain; it's right. it's math. <laughs> it's, it's raising his children right that yep. they're actually good people, and and I like that because that brings the family element. Yeah, and 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 again, he has to once again be put in a position where he has to suppress being a superhero. Bob loves the attention of being a superhero. And he, let's face it, he has a little bit of an ego. So he has when he, anger issues, too. He has some issues. The first movie, he threw someone through, like, five walls. Right. Yes. That was a really bad guy, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he, he, you know, when, it's, when it comes time to, like, okay, so we need to get a new perception, and he's like, oh, okay. And then we go, Elastigirl. And he's like, what? What really? Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I like that because to your point, humanity, and I think that's it's it's forget about the superpowers, the real superpowers in both movies. It's the family unit. It's working together. So that to me, and that's the humanistic element, which gives the heart to the to both movies, including this one. Right, and you also have to remember. Yeah, it makes sense that would be a knee-jerk reaction from Bob, thinking, <clears throat> like, what, you're going to put my wife in, in the spotlight instead of me? Um, but going off of the 50s, 60s theme that these movies do take on, in the 50s and 60s, women weren't really placed in the front forefront like Mm-mm. such as this. So it, it was a big step for them, if you go back 
decades ago. Sure. That's a big thing to put a woman there. And I, I like that. But I liked how it took him a minute because he was reluctant. But eventually he was very supportive. Absolutely. There. And again, it, it, it goes to family core values. And putting Elastigirl, girl, it's all about perception, perception, because she's the superhero and mother. Mm-hmm. And she brought those char- those motherly characteristics into her being a superhero. And then when you super up with a bike, that motorcycle, right? Yeah. That was awesome. It was updated, apparently, yeah, from the first one. St- it splits Stretch. in two and stretches. The train sequence in that movie. Awesome. And her rescue attempt of that train sequence, too. And I'm really glad that they gave Elastigirl, like, that is her own set piece. And it was a really well-done set piece. And she had to think things through without Bob, so yeah. to speak. So um, it was a smart, bold move going forward. and. Yeah. Great perception. As a, and I always liked Elastigirl because even <clears throat> from the first movie, we we always knew that she knew when something was wrong or something didn't right. add up. And like she, she's the the problem solver. And so this one, when the train was going the opposite way, mm-hmm. she automatically knew. It's like no, it's not supposed to be going that way. And then when the whole fight with the screenslaver, she's the one who figured it out. It's like hey, this technology is part of the its own company, its native company. Something's wrong here. She She's the one who figures out there's always something wrong. Yeah. And 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 I love that it's not a male. Yeah. It was it was pieced together very nicely. She she's very smart and then on her own. But I think the brilliance of the script is okay, she's on her own, but on her own she gets uh for lack of better words, captured. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so she not that she's the damsel in distress, but it's the family unit that comes together uh, because both the parents end up being uh, hypnotized, captured by the screen slaver. So our kids need to come in and, and help everybody out. So everybody had their piece and everybody had something to do that was relevant to moving the plot forward into protecting and saving the family. And I really enjoy that they relied on everybody and even at that, you still need a little help from your friends like Frozone. Frozone. <laughs> he, I feel, I mean, Frozone was a cool character in the first one, albeit smaller role than yep. he had in <clears> this <throat> one. And I liked because Samuel L. Jackson, of course, made major star in and of himself. And I liked how they built Frozone more and gave him more scenes to, to help Save the family as well, but also also turning on the family too sure. against his will with those goggles. Yeah, uh, but it, it was cool to see the the his his frozen power, his ice power. Come oh, back. it was awesome! I, I was so glad that especially they had him in the back. ocean against yes. the water. Uh huh. Like that, that's like just a whole nother level on top of his water. And but you can also he is part of that family too because they call him like uncle. Mm-hmm. And all that, and you know, and I know that you know, good friends. Sometimes you call them aunt or uncle. Absolutely, and they definitely call him uncle. And that he even had control over Bob's car. Yeah, uh-huh. and gave the authorization to the kids too. So like, he, he's definitely within that family. And it's it's always fun to see Samuel Jackson just be it's, really his character, but <laughs> with another set of parts. And it's fun to listen to him. And you're right; they 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 far more explored his powers even right at the beginning of the movie. Against the miner, where you used all that ice to keep that the 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 mine, uh, drill. The, the the drill from going into City Hall uh, and such. So 
he's got some pretty spectacular, fun, powerful, you know, things up his sleeve. He, yeah. he, was, a, he was a fun character to watch, and I'm glad that he's part of that that unit, the Incredibles. Yeah, and it, and I, I liked how it had to be the kids that had to help the parents this time. The Underminer. The, that, that's the, yes, underminer. the underminer. Voiced by John Ratzenberger. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, Disney's lucky charm. He, uh, if, if, if memory serves, and if I am correct, he is the only actor to be in every Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Every one. Yep. Yeah, to date. And to date. So he, of course, he had to be in this one. And the underminer did show up for like one minute in the end of the first one. So technically he wasn't the first one too. Uh, so... But getting back to the the kids, I mean, we they had like you could say like B type of storylines, especially with Violet and her quote unquote new boyfriend with Tony. Yeah, his his memory getting wiped. (laughs) Uh, But it still goes back to Violet was is still that awkward teenager because they're still within the same day of the first movie. She's still going to be awkward. She's still in that painful teen angsty moment. But I, I did like how they she finally did get her date with Tony. Mm-hmm. And and again, just going back to you know, they treat the characters, they give them something quote unquote real to deal with. So there's teenage angst, there's feeling the awkwardness, and here she is a superhero. Mm-hmm. So you got to deal with being a superhero and having superpowers. So you're different from all your friends. She finally gets a boyfriend, and that gives her confidence. And she's, like, so happy. And then things happen, and her father is trying to sort of help, but <laughs> he's sort of the catalyst to, to Tony getting his mind wiped. But then we've got the um, her brother, and he's really cool, too. As a, how old is he? Maybe 10, 11, and, you know. He just, I remember <clears throat> in the first one, he graduated from fifth grade because yeah. Bob made a big deal. He was like, he moved from fifth grade to the sixth grade. So he'd be around 10, 11. Yeah. And he's like a 10 or 11 year old, like, yeah, look at that toy. That's awesome. I don't want vegetables. <laughs> like, did you wash your hands? <laughs> like, With that's soap. With soap. Did you dry them? Yeah. So, but he wasn't obnoxious. He was fun. I loved when they're getting that view in the house. And he's like, oh mm-hmm. my God, this is great. And, and the waterfall. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I felt like Dash is fun to Dash. watch. But he had the less amount of storyline. He did in this movie. He did, and I'm actually okay with it because they built other characters and their other yeah. storylines more than Dash did. So maybe if we got Incredibles three, Dash might have a bigger story. Yeah, and and, and I'm with you on that um, because it, the focus should be, I think, on the teenager in dealing with being a superhero. For a 10, 11 years old, how many times do you see 10, 11 year old? Today, where it's not Halloween, and they're going outside in superhero kind of costumes, right? Mm-hmm. And Dash gets to be a real superhero, and he loves it, because he's right. a superhero. It's not until he gets older and that awkwardness might fit in, but I think I like the story better with a teenage girl trying to cope with everything. And then being a lot a of big- teenage girls are watching. Yeah. And also, the, you have to remember, Dash had always had control of his powers. He, he never once... 
had issues and like he could because run. in the first one he knew how to run fast <laughs> and like he actually was really great at it to, he couldn't be in jack until no. you know the very end but it's like cause he never had issues with his powers violet we saw in the first one she she was struggling for control right. like dash always had control of his powers therefore didn't really feel like dash needed a storyline to really help develop his character because right. he was already so developed in the first one right but you bring up a great point, too, Marissa, in which makes, I think, Incredibles 2, a lot of Pixar movies, but Incredibles 2, it makes it multi-generational, mm-hmm. right? And this is what brings in, this is why adults can appreciate the movie because of its values, right? Girls can appreciate the movies because you have good, strong women characters dealing with something that a teenage girl might be dealing with today a little bit, but something, it's relatable. And, and you know... The 10-year-old who's watching that will love Dash because the 10-year-old wants to be that fast superhero. So it's putting everything together and making it work. And that's where Pixar always excels. So they do make, like when you say a crossover movie or or a four-quadrant movie, the Incredibles and Pixar do a great job at creating that because there's something for everybody to watch and take away from the movie. And parents don't have to be embarrassed taking to it or fear that mm-hmm. it's going to be too scary for their kids. And they're going to enjoy it as well. They'll relate. It's re- they're very relatable. Absolutely. And I think just the storylines <clears throat> in and of themselves of this whole movie, uh, great to watch, very relevant. Even the return of Edna Mode, still mm-hmm. in character, still voiced by Brad Bird himself. Uh Really fun. And I loved how she took so well to Jack-Jack. Yeah. And I wasn't actually expecting that. Neither was I. And I will tell you, if I'm going to have a criticism about the movie, I wish there was more of her in it. I I wish there was more of her in it. But I'm glad she was. And I'm glad that she put her foot down and saying, I will be forever your costumer. (laughs) Like, in perpetuity forever. Do it. <laughs> so and she goes, and I will take Jack Jack. You know, take Jack. I think one of the the moments that I actually laughed the hardest <clears throat> out loud, and it's probably one of the most subtle moments that a lot of people might have missed. But Jack Jack actually imitating the the motions of Edna. Oh my god! The hand <laughs> gestures and the, the so lollipop. Funny. It's like Jack Jack's an infant who can hardly crawl. I mean, I think he can crawl, but like that's awesome. it. But to take on the personalities of other people is like—is that also one of his superpowers that he can <laughs> Im- imitate other people? Um, that was hysterical because you don't expect that from a baby. And the other great thing about that relationship too was when Jack Jack was with her, he wasn't shooting off his powers in her arms. You know, mm-hmm. like he was like. He had that giggle. He was fine. When they put him in the room to show all the different powers, that scene was funny, too. It's like, what power is that? <laughs> like, that's, this is his own dad, and they're still trying to figure out what he's got. Um, it was really good, and I really liked the relationship, and I'm glad, too, that she, as auntie, is 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 brought into the family more. Yeah, exactly. And that, I, I wish that they had a, a line about no capes, but... No caves. That I mean, that was so iconic in the first one. Right. But I did love the the self extinguishing foam. Yes. Out of Jack Jacks. Yep. And it's also edible. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, anything else about the storyline before we move into production? No, I mean, it, it, again, I thought it had a just from beginning to end. 
really good storyline through it. Uh, we, we built up these good villains. We had a good set piece at the end. Um, and yeah, no, I, I think that the characters were well developed and well, dare I say, no pun intended, well drawn, well drawn and developed and fully characterized. They've evolved from the Incredibles from the first movie. They've become different. They've learned even more about themselves and what they're going to do. Uh, and, and that's what you hope for any sequel for that matter, regardless if it's Pixar. Even the other characters, <clears throat> the, the, the side B friends slash villain characters that yeah. that we had Winston bring in. Like, these are the other superheroes in the world that look up to you, um, up to the last girl. And he, he brought all these other people with cool powers with like the girl in the portal dimensions right. and that was the, really cool the crusher yeah you know, so to see other characters with their different powers too always fun to watch and yeah. also to see them in two different aspects like friends and then also what they can do when they turn on you. right and and the other cool thing is it really does expand that universe like and it's not just the incredibles right it's not just the family of the incredibles there are other superpower folks who are equally as good-natured um, and they can put their powers to a good use, which makes me believe that hmm, what other villains are there, are there in this in this world that Brad Bird has created? Yeah. So maybe we'll see some more uh, come Incredibles 3. Uh, I mean, we probably will because if we have all those other people out in the world with cool superpowers how many other villains are there? I hope we don't see Syndrome. He was enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one. he was. Yeah, I mean, I, he he could be a maybe like a, an Easter egg in the third one or something, or they maybe. just bring up and mention him. The, they'll, they, I mean, again, I think what they're great at is developing developing new villains, and and Brad Bird already had a villain in mind <clears throat> that they that they at the very last minute changed and it had something yeah. to do with the AI variety. Yeah. So let's get into a bit of production. Sure. As we know, animation takes years, in this case, 14 years. They actually had to move production forward a, a year. They swapped dates with Toy Story 4 release dates, which means Incredible 2 actually lost a year of production. Yes. So, I mean, and that's a big feat because especially with animation... It's it's a very timely process. So to lose 365 days, I'm sure everyone was just big sigh. <laughs> it was, uh, according to Brad Bird in doing the in-production design, too, when they were doing the first Incredibles, they had time. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say, well, they 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 compare it to Incredibles, we, we, we could relax. We were putting things together. They didn't together. have pressure on them. And this one... We, we yeah we we had to work differently but he also brad bird credits also believe that that got us creatively better too because of it we didn't want to approach the sequel feeling relaxed we really had to be as good as and try to be better and strive for best and we and he thinks that this is a great incentive even though they weren't expecting it yeah like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> To lose a year, like, wow. But to what they accomplished within the time that they did have, also wow, because this movie was phenomenal. But uh, so in, in, my, in our research, they, that they had over 
52,725 storyboards. <laughs> Just storyboards alone, let alone the, the visual effects and all the compositing and rendering shots that they had to do. Over 52,000 plus storyboards. For the undermining scene, they had 410 just for the undermining right. scene. And that's right. not even including the train right. sequence, the boat sequence, everything. I mean, so this just the concept of storyboarding to concept development and the arting. Uh, pre-vis. And pre-vis and, and the coloring and the actual rendering. And so that's why they have to have a solid storyline first. Because if you change your storyline, it's it takes so much more time to to change the animation aspect right. than it does to change right. three lines on a typewriter. And a typewriter. And, and the other interesting thing when we've talked about animated movies before <clears throat> that they get to do on an animated movie is they get to like do screenings, um, internal screenings of of scenes and movies, and they mm-hmm. can change. They can look at it as a team, and make appropriate changes if they deem it necessary. So with with lopping off a year of this production schedule, Brad Bird is saying, like, the first thing we had to eliminate was reassurance because you do a lot of stuff to prepare internal screenings that are obsolete the moment you have them, but they're still there to reassure everybody you're doing well. Because you put all your work into those screenings so that people won't slow down your process or make you rethink something, mm-hmm. and that had to go. Every moment we had to be spent making the actual movie. And this comes from a great article uh, from Vulture.com about the chaos. The three years, it was three years of chaos putting this together. I believe it. Um, so, but they, you know, they're able to put it together. And they came together as a team. Yeah, and I mean we haven't. This is <clears throat> this isn't our first Disney Pixar film, no. and we've talked about how technology has advanced so much within just the last ten years. And this movie, the first one, was made fourteen years ago. So uh, that the technology has improved, the programs have improved, right. and even the studio that they were working on for. Incredibles 2 was three times larger than when they had it when they made the first film. Yeah. So they, they had more space and more computers to render everything on. And, and the, the quality and experience of just the all the animators is also more advanced than they were 14 years ago, right. 15 years ago. I mean, it came out, the movie first came out in 2004. But even then, they were working on it years before yep. that. Mm-hmm. So it's been pro- more than 15 years. And, and don't forget, too, within the 14 years, so yes, technology. Uh, and we've talked, it, well, and it's so changed so quickly. And we've talked about it, uh, particularly from Zootopia on. Zootopia. Um, um, Big Hero 6. Right. That, that was a big <clears throat> movie for lighting. Exactly. And how the lighting programs and, changed. And so the technology changed, but also don't forget that Pixar has its core of animators who who are steadfast and regulars at Pixar. They had 14 years to grow as well. Mm-hmm. Become more accustomed. Change, adapt, evolve with the technology to use it better, to use it as a tool, and not just to use it for special effects' sake, but they've been able to use their they grow they grew older and more experienced as well. Right. And they're back on that. And that, you know, when you have that good combination. And and also works. with they do have the now they do have the experience of others superhero movies that have been out. People because if you think about this the powers of strength, invisibility, um, speed running 
and 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 stretching those aren't original superpowers so how do you still make them interesting mm-hmm. and and fun to watch even though it's kind of repeated now you, you add their personalities that make yep. them different yep and and you know and that's what we get with uh jack and jack jack and like the baby but but with dash and, and he he's a kid mm-hmm. um so it, it's just like you have to add the character differences to the same powers Absolutely. that we see in other people mm-hmm and I like so kudos to them. Production's fantastic. The color aspect still within the old timey fifties, sixties era. Yeah, but and that's with what, new technology. And again, that's what I loved about it because it really mashes these two worlds together. It mashes today with the arch- architecture of the sixties, mm-hmm. and it has that the house comical, that mansion the, was the sixties. House, house is gorgeous, but again. And again, when you talk about blending technology. So back in the 60s, what's great technology? Oh, well, my floor can move and there's a little river that runs down and th- things can rotate um, like a lazy Susan on its own. But that house also had great tech as far as big TV screens. Mm-hmm. And so I love the Chairs. mashup. Yeah, the cha- I love the mashup. And I, th- that's one of the things. I love the textures of that world. And it's a great world to visit. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. It's always fun. The technology was always fun to watch, especially <clears throat> with the, the motorcycle and, and Bob's car. Bob's car. Cool. And how that <laughs> could even transform into the different type of vehicles that they needed. Yep. Very useful. Mm-hmm. But also with the new added technology, uh, you could say the the failed Google goggles, <laughs> Google glasses. <laughs> yep. But even that was fun. That was such a slim sunglasses aviator right. look, but could still add... You know, drama and mystery and even add a villain aside to something of a technology. Yeah, and let's not, going back to the car, when we talk about a design, obviously it took, you know, it took some inspiration from the 60s Batman, Batmobile, the fins and such, and the gadgets that it could have. So, again, but they made it modern to today, and it's a fun vehicle to look at, and it can be remote controlled, much not unlike well, and who else? controlled. Who else was popular in the 60s? Well, there was a super spy born in the 60s, James Bond. Yeah. And so there's there's like these Bond elements, too, um, that, are, that, that are peppered in and throughout both movies, actually. So I was getting kind of a Knight Rider feel. A night writer, <laughs> just a little That's bit, great. just a little bit, but yeah, I mean, and every superhero has to have a great supercar, right? So that was Bob's. <laughs> that was Bob's. All right, so moving into promotion, this movie had a lot of heavily promotion. Oof. Um, yeah, all over the place. Four taglines: "It's been too long, darlings," which is from Edna Mode. Back to work, almost ready, and suit up, which is has been a popular term. Nowadays, because of how I met your mother and Bernie Stinson, always wearing uh-huh. a suit, suit up, and you know, then just the the play on words of actually suiting up for a hero. Mm-hmm. But the the original trailer for uh, Incredibles two, the first one dropped November eighteenth, two thousand seventeen, during uh, ESPN broadcast at College Game Day, and it held the record for the it still holds the record for the most viewed animated teaser trailer of all time with 113 million views in the opening week yeah that's humongous i remember when beauty and the beast trailer came out yep. that had over 100 million views in the first week 
And Same thing with this like is Force an animated, Awakens. Like, mm-hmm. But also, it also plays that how important trailers can be in promoting films, especially this one being 14 years since the original. So everyone wanted to see this. Yeah, you knew right off the get-go that it was going to recapture what everybody loved from the first film. And it was still going to have that comedy. Um, and, you know, because it was, if, I, if I'm correct, it's the scene where Bob is holding Jack-Jack and he burns the... Yes. <laughs> burns his hair. <laughs> burns his hair. It's very funny and it, ha- and it has that it has that humor. And again, you're right. For 14 years, you just wonder. But Disney is great at keeping the Pixar brand, all of their brands, in fact, not just Pixar, relevant to today. Whether you go to the parks... Um, you know, the Incredibles are still at the parks. They still play a major theme in parades. They're, they're always sort of kind of around. They never fade away from people's memory. And they did a really great job of reinvigorating nostalgia, you know, from the first one. Mm-hmm. Let's see where these characters go. And to your point from, from the top of the show where you said superheroes are so relevant in today's pop culture that... It feels it's like that's now. <clears throat> it feels like the yeah, it's true. And that's sort of, I, I you know, I have to believe that that's part of this resurgence for Incredibles. Yeah, cuz I mean, and also if you think about it, if this movie if the sequel actually came out within the first 5 years of the first one, it would be very more progressive than all the comic book movies that we get today. Sure. So, I mean, it's and I think as much as people are tired of comic book and the superhero fatigue, it was also needed for this movie to actually come to fruition. Absolutely. And and let, let us not forget, this isn't based off of a comic book. No, it's you not. Know, the Incredibles was, was an original idea from, from Brad Bird, taking superheroes that he loved and taking an era in which he loved, in which there were villains, like there, there were good guys and bad guys. And that's what he drew upon. And... He created this wonderful world all on his own, you know, which yep. is which is genius. And so it's it's great that props to him seeing seeing a sequel with these beloved characters. You know, it would be it would be sweet that you know if they make the a, a third one, uh, which all indications box office will get into in a little bit. Right. It seems to that I hope Brad Bird is always at the helm in one way, shape, or form. Absolutely. And, of course, we'd be remiss, before we get into numbers, we'd sure. be remiss if we didn't talk about the music. Yes. Michael Giancchino, who <clears> also <throat> did the first one, Incredibles 1, which, actually, Incredibles 1 was the first film that Giancchino actually composed. So, he's come a long way since, won Academy Awards since, and so now he's more experienced. They used over a, a 99-piece orchestra yeah. at the Sony Pictures. Um, to to it was the Sony, Sony's recording stage for the music still had odes back of the 1950s 60s themes mm-hmm. and oh. he but also with the character developments of Elastigirl and Incredibles he he composed new original theme songs for oh, each of them absolutely and and I cannot highly recommend this soundtrack enough um, and I think that G Kane is having a big two weeks here. So he had The Incredibles 2, in which he does the soundtrack, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, which he also does the soundtrack. Uh, You know, but I think that it's The Incredibles. Incredibles 2, basically, he does this, I can't, he does this wonderful pastiche 
of Lalo Schifrin. He's got a little bit of John Barry, and he uses the Nelson Riddle Orchestra, and it's just fantastic. And then it has like each character, Elastigirl, Mr. Incredible, they have their little theme songs. Mm-hmm. i got to be honest. I wish it was just all score. Um, I, I love having the little bonuses of those theme songs on the soundtrack. Right. But I, I, I urge you, if you do love soundtracks and you love The Incredibles... The music is great. You listen to the music, because it really is. It's It's got that, that 60s spy Mission Impossible James Bond. James Bond. Song. And actually, Jan Kino... He he says that, that the style of his music is actually 1960s jazz music orchestra spy action style originated by John Barry in the James Bond films. Every now so and then, I, I almost know what I'm talking yeah. about. So there you go. You, you definitely got the <laughs> so, espionage feel oh, for this. And we, yeah. we heard a little bit of it at, in, when we introed our, our show. But also, and, he and Brad Bird... Helped right through the original jingles that are in this movie as well. Absolutely. And just to talk a little bit about uh, Gene Kino and Brad Bird, uh, their relationship goes to, like, you know, uh, Gene Kino also did Tomorrowland, which I still think an underserved movie, an underappreciated movie, but a very underappreciated original score, because it truly is an original score. But they also, um, Mission Impossible. Uh, he, Great he did, films. Right, and, and, and he did the Brad Bird uh, Mission Impossible movie, which makes complete sense because Layla Schifrin, who's, who's credited for the television series, and that Mission Impossible theme carries over through all the movies, but he does, he does such an amazing job. He doesn't just mimic it. He pays a wonderful ode to it while making it his own. He does the same with John Williams' uh, themes, so it makes sense uh, because he, yeah, he never parodies, he never mimics he makes it his own, but he pays wonderful homage to those composers uh, who are still with us today, who have gone on. Uh, he does a fantastic job when he's doing that. Yeah, and still with the flair of his own. So good for him for <clears throat> coming back. And if they do a third one, good chances he'll be doing that one as well. Let's not wait 14 years. <laughs> yeah, right. But no matter how long it took for the second movie to come out, man, the numbers do sure show. It broke records. Records. I records. mean, incredible. Uh, once again, tracking so off on this movie. It, it's just incredible. <laughs> Punny. What? Yeah, absolutely. As to what it's been able to accomplish in such a short time. For the, so they had about a two hundred million budget, and is, that's not including. PA yeah, so you're, you're talking anywhere from about two hundred and seventy to maybe even three hundred. Yeah, maybe you know because this was a worldwide release as well. And let's face it, you, I. Everywhere I went, I saw Incredibles too. Oh yeah, um, so it was everywhere, right? So I mean, domestically, domestically, we've got already at two hundred and sixty-nine million dollars. In the first not, week, not it is the first week yeah, today. <laughs> the first week of Incredibles too. So I mean, to me, that is incredible. It opens up at one hundred and eighty-two million dollars. For an opening weekend, most people had it at 125, 130. It is their highest grossing animated movie. Yep. Um, uh, um, dropping Finding Dory to number two. Finding Dory was at 138. Yeah, which is it, crazy. It exceeded it by about 50 million. Yeah. 
So, you know, from its foreign territory, obviously it hasn't opened up everywhere yet, but thus far, $75 million. So we've got a worldwide gross of $344 million. So wow. 344, 269, they were confident enough to release it one week before Jurassic World. We are going to have such an amazing box office weekend. And what I love about this weekend is we, we still have that diversity. For the people who want to see Jurassic World, mm-hmm. which many are going to, that's there. And then we this have the kind Incredibles. Of programming. This is, this is variety. Mm-hmm. This is, and they're solid features, good good entertainment to get you off your butts from watching your get get off this and go to a big screen see incredibles to actually on a really big screen see it again i saw this in xd and it looked Uh, beautiful do you think this movie could cross the billion mark it's yeah, it's potential. I mean, when you're talking about it's uh, it's well, its runtime was about two hours. It's a long movie. For, yeah, I remember sitting and I consciously had the, the thought. I was like, "Wow, <clears> this movie's still going." I was still entertained throughout, but I I literally did have a moment where I was like, "This movie isn't over." Yeah, and I don't think it's gonna have. I, I think the drop for its second week is going to be in its favor. I don't think it's gonna be very steep at all. The reception of the movie, both critically and from 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 Word an audience perspective. Perspective yeah. have been really solid, and this is the first that I can recall. Was there? Do we do another animated movie the, uh, this summer? Have we talked about one? No, like not, a family film. Not this summer. Yeah, I this is it. like the first one. It's a Pixar. It's an event movie. Even with Jurassic World opening up, you know, it's still gonna do some business. And so when you have a hundred and eighty. This movie could potentially still do a hundred million in its second weekend. Yeah, good for them. Which is, you know, fantastic. It's. I mean, it was a much waited, long wait. And, so yeah, and again, fourteen years after the original movie. Doesn't, Does it? Apparently, it doesn't matter how long it takes for something like this. But sometimes, I mean, you know, if it were if if it were a live action movie, your actors get older, as you said. Yeah, it's harder to hide that, and the relevancy. Is also oh, it goes away. Well, a perfect a perfect example, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, right? Mm. Yeah, more than fourteen years between the original and the and, more than and, twenty and years. One. Yeah, and so again, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I really loved, but a lot of people, I mean, so many years passed. It's tough to make a relevant sequel when you wait that long. And also, and you had to build another character mm-hmm. compared to the, your lead in the original one. Right. You had to build another lead for yeah. the second one. So it's tough. But, but it's yeah, good. but the, the recession for this, high praises, 94% of Rotten Tomatoes. Cinema score, A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Huge. Yeah. And IMDb is like 8.5 out of 10, and mm-hmm. it's been positive reviews. I haven't really seen one negative review. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't either. Um, and going into it, I just hoped that it would be fun, and it really was. It really yeah. delivered what I had, what I had hoped the first one delivered, and I hope that they didn't get off track and they made it. Well, let me ask you this: Did you find it better than a little, not so better than, or equal to The Incredibles? Honestly, I'd say equal. Mm-hmm. I I love this film as much as I love the first one, and yeah. I can't really say which ones even better than each right. other um i think this is such a solid movie that's on equal footing with the first one and the first one like just really set the the standards for how great this 
this film could be. And the second one was just as great. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, and so before we wrap up, of course, it's sure. a Disney film. And there's always a little bit of fun Easter eggs. And there were some mm-hmm. in this one. And if you may have, may not notice, uh, John Ratzenberger, which right. we talked about, he voiced Unamonic. Um, the Shadow of the Lexo Ball. Right. The famous okay. Lexo Ball of Pixar is actually in the background scene where Frozone Lucius learns about Jack's Jack's power when they're out in, oh, in right, the right, yard. Right, right. And the, the, the ball is out there. And mm-hmm. there's another one that's in, uh, the ball is in Jack Jack's crib. Oh. As cool. a toy. And the scene where Elastic Girl fights Screen Slaver and it, you know, takes it out into the streets. Right. That one point, there's a shot off to the right side of the screen. Right. It's actually the Pizza Planet car. <laughs> but awesome. it was but. the, the design of the car was changed. So it would, be more of the 50s aesthetic look for okay. our car. But you can clearly tell it was the Pizza Planet nice. delivery truck. And when Violet finally goes on her date with Tony, this is one that actually stood out to me. And it I, was I it? Okay. Noticed. Um, the, the movie title, Dementia, Dementia. A113, right. which is, stands for the, the animating original room of the, the school. And so A113 is on the, the movie theater the marquee the, yep. the marquee and also uh the there apparently there's an easter egg for toy story 4 really? in this movie that i have not yet found and no one has yet found if you have if you know what it is please let us know okay yeah but there's actually an easter egg to toy story 4 people don't know what it is so it's either a toy or a character that we don't know yet that apparently made an appearance in this movie that will be in two stories. There is one. You know, I just thought of something, too, that we didn't really touch upon uh, on this movie because, and it started out with a viral tweet, of all things. Hmm. <clears throat> the visual optics of the movie, the, the strobe lighting effect that was used for screen slavers, uh, hypnotic, all whatever. Right. So what were your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it, there, there was a, a, a tweet that went very, very viral that said, hey, this movie has some strobe light effects in it. If you suffer from seizure, if this epilepsy. is something, epilepsy, this is something that could affect you. Yeah. And it became a really big thing within the past week where warnings actually, like legit warnings, went out. See, and I literally <clears throat> had that thought. I was, and when that happened, I even consciously thought, I was like, I'm surprised they didn't warn us about that. I. Fortunately, don't suffer from epilepsy, but those who may have, um, it's actually when lights flash more than three times per second can actually cause you right. to go into an epileptic seizure. So I'm glad that they're finally putting the warnings on. They should have done it beforehand yeah. because there are two individual moments in this movie where that yeah. happens a mm-hmm. lot yeah, for a I, long time. And I haven't heard of any stories of people who, who fell into a, a fit while watching the movie, right. but... A responsible thing to do is to tell people about it, um, you know. Because that affects all ages. Kids can go into seizures, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a responsible thing to do, but in in the same way, I hope it doesn't scare people. And I don't think... The grosses don't show that it's scaring anybody away. Um, So, but just know that you've been warned. We talked about it here. We did our social thing. Uh, and, and, And it all started from a tweet. Right. Well, speaking of socials and tweeting, where can everyone keep following you, Dimitri? Well, they can support me on Twitter at dmovies1701. That's that's all I've got. I got no Facebook or anything like that or Instagram. 
Twitter. That's it. There you go. And you can follow me everywhere at Serafini TV. You can follow all of us here. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those fun social media platforms here at The Popcorn Talk. Um, on our personal Twitter's movie anatomy, let us know your thoughts. If you watched it with your kids, mm-hmm. if you are a kid and you watched it, yeah. how much did you love it compared to the first one? Absolutely, all that stuff. And, and you can also too. I have to do a shameless plug. I've also been on Meet the Movie Press, where we did talk about The Incredibles. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's all fun stuff, and I love talking movies here. Marissa, it's been fantastic. Just you, and the dynamic and duo, dynamic duo, The Incredibles, The Incredible Two here, <laughs> The Incredible Two. I'll leave us with. That. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and see you next time. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.